people see, they're stuck. And they start to cry out to God, what are we doing? What is going to happen? Uh, God, why have you brought us here? We're going to surely die. They think it's the end of it all. They're terrified. And God makes a way where there seemingly is no way at all. That was last week. And maybe that's all you need to hear today. That our God, if we serve a God and we love a God and we know a God that doesn't change, then we have this same God that can make a way where there seems to be no earthly way forward for us to have life. Um, So they pass through the Red Sea. God parts the sea. Even Moses tells his people, remember like, hey, quit crying out to God. He's going to deliver us. And then he kind of goes over and goes, God, what's going on here? I don't know. And and God's like, this is what you do. So he trusts God. He obeys God. God parts the sea. And this, this people walk through on dry ground, this most probably terrifying moment as they walk through what once was water, cross over into safety, and God rescues his people from certain death. And today, we're going to look at how do they respond. What is God's people's response to this moment? What is God's people's response to an army that was coming in and God just uh, shatters this army right before their eyes and they are left on the other side and have life? And God is with them. And freeze them. And here's what we see in Exodus 15. God's people respond in song. They sing a song. Now, this right here is a, uh, we should read this, we should know this, we should uh, mark this up in our Bible. This is the very first song ever recorded in our Bible. This is the first song ever recorded in our Bible, Exodus chapter 15. God's people's response to him saving them from certain death, and they cross through the Red Sea, which is one of the most monumental moments in all of redemptive history, maybe only second to the cross. God's people sing, and they praise God. They sing. What do they sing about? Well, they sing about God's strength. Uh, They sing about how God is for their good and he's for them. They sing about this cosmic victory of God once and for all. And then they sing about their future security in God, that God will be with them along this journey all along the way, and they do not have to fear. They sing. So side note, church. What we do, what we just did, singing songs, we don't sing songs because we think songs are nice and we just like, it's like a concert and we show up and we just kind of like singing songs together because it's fun to like sing song together. No, there's something deeply rooted in the hearts of God's people that have been saved and rescued by his redeeming hand that when we when we see and experience and know all that he has done, our response to him is that we would overflow into praise of God. So corporately, collectively, when we lift our voices and sing together, we're not watching someone sing songs about God up here on stage. 
What Zach and Jelana's heartbeat is for us as a church to respond to the kindness and the saving mercy of God that we collectively as God's people would lift our voices in a holy roar of the truth of who he is, what he's done, what he saved us from, and it would reverberate the walls of this place because we're reminding each other of the truth of God and what he's done in our hearts and lives. That's worship. That's praise. That's song with God's people. It is not watching and observing someone sing nice things to you. It is a collective response of God's people responding to what he has done. That's praise. And so church, a challenge, this is a side note, I didn't even have any of this written down. I just, just, this is all free. When we sing, um, we're going to read the text here in a minute, and we're going to get to it. Like Miriam, the prophetess, there's a section, girl breaks out tambourines and starts handing them out to people. And there's tambourines shaking, there's dancing, there's singing, and they are rejoicing because God in his mercy and love and grace has just saved them from certain death. That's what we're doing every Sunday. That's why we're here. So when we gather, if this is you, do you know what you've been rescued from? God's, you're like, well, I don't like singing. Well, singing's biblical. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be up here singing it. You don't have to have a wonderful voice. But God says in his word that when he has saved you and we gather together corporately, that it should spill over in gratitude and praise through song. And when we do that, we collectively, congregationally encourage one another's hearts to believe that which is true. So you may be sitting next to someone that's going through a really hard season, and they kind of want to sit like this because... God, I don't know if I can believe him right now. When they hear the holy roar of God's people, they can be reminded of what's true, good, right, and beautiful in their lives, and they can join in in the song that has been sung for generations of God's people that he is good and that he will never break his promises and that God saves people from certain death when there seems to be no way out. Side note. Okay, where was I? Okay, songs about God's strength. That's right. Uh, Saved people sing. All right, I got to skip all that. We got to get to the text. Okay, so songs, what we're going to see here in Exodus chapter 15. That, so these aren't just songs that are like warm, fuzzy songs. It's not just, okay, we just are, we're, just sing whatever just comes out. No, these songs are anchored in truth. They're anchored in reality. They're anchored in what God does, who he is, what he's like, and what he's rescued us from. Songs, church, if you think about them, are portable theology. Portable theology, meaning this. Songs, for some reason, have the ability to deposit into our heads and into our hearts, and we never forget them, right? So any 80s kids in here, if I start singing Ice Ice Baby, I'll sing that first line, you know every word of it, and you don't even want to anymore. (laughs) All right, stop. You're like, you can just go. You just know it. You'll never, and it's going to be in your head all day. 
I even know one that I know, my very first compact disc. You remember that? When you got CDs back in the day? My first compact disc, that's what we called them. We, we later shortened it to CD. Was Millie Vanilli's single, Blame It on the Rain. Blame it on, right? I, I know every word of that song. And I don't want to because they were frauds. They weren't even singing. They were lip singing. I know the story is lost on some of you. I don't know why I, that song is embedded into me, and I don't want it there anymore, but I cannot get it out. I know every word of it, and I haven't heard it in 30 years. It's not like I still listen to it. I don't even think you can listen to it anymore. Songs embed into our hearts and our minds. God knows that. And God gives his people songs. And he gives us songs in his word that are true of who he is. And we see here the very first song sung with a people, a multitude of God's people, and he deposits this into their hearts. And this is one of the most famous songs in our scriptures. The early church would recite this song. They would sing this song because it was true of who God was. And it reminded them of all the goodness of who he is. And it gets into our hearts hearts and into our minds so that we don't forget. Uh, songs are portable theology. So make sure the songs we sing are true. Don't just fill your, your minds and your hearts with uh, silly songs. We'll sing good songs. All right. Exodus 15. That was my intro. 1 through 21. They band finished early. I got time. Um, <clears throat> we'll sing later. We'll sing more later. I know that's the whole point. Here we go, Exodus 15, 1 through 21. It's a big chunk of text. We're going we're gonna to see uh, this first song. And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. It's the first time that's been said in the Bible. Saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation this is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap, and the deeps congealed in the hearts of the sea. What a great line. Wow. Move going on. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will, devoid the I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people 
whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And the peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All of the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. And they, and they are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Song of Moses has many themes. We're going to look at four of them here this morning. The first is that the people of Israel are celebrating in song the strength of God. The strength of God. Now, real quick, I want us to <clears throat> use your spiritual imagination, if you will. Um, I don't say, like, imagine things that aren't really happening. What we just read, let your imagination understand and maybe feel and see the, and understand what is taking place in God's word here, like rooted in truth. Let your imagination get there. And when we read this, oftentimes we forget the magnitude of what's happening. Um, Exodus chapter 12 tells us there are 600,000 men amongst God's people which would put us around 1.5 to 2 million, right, Michael? We were talking, we were debating the math. Men, women, and children on the Exodus journey. This isn't like a small group of people. This is potentially millions of God's people being liberated from certain death that have been in bondage for 400 years of harsh slavery and oppression, walking through, seeing their enemies crushed, and they start singing. That's a feat in and of itself. How do they teach them this song? But they sing this song. They know this song that was taught to them. And the first thing this multitude of God's people sing and lift their voices about is the strength of God. Verses 1 through 5. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, it goes down. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts, he casts them into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. It's important to know that what they're sing, singing about is that God has triumphed over the horse and the rider. It says that a number of times here in this song. God has triumphed over the horse and the rider. Miriam sings the very same line in the last verse of our passages this morning. 
the horse and the rider, what's it getting at? The horse and the rider are both the instrument and the agent of war against God's people. That's who they most feared. The horse and his rider are barreling down. They have swords. They're the instrument and the agent of war coming down on God's people. And so by destroying the horse and rider by the hand of God, God's people respond in praise because they no longer have anything to fear. Can you imagine? I mean, the scene must have just been troubling, obviously, to witness. But it was the thing they feared the very most in their lives. Then that threat was completely neutralized. So a people who had been on the receiving end of injustice, the receiving end of oppression, the receiving end of violence, the receiving end of bitter and harsh slavery and work at the hands of Pharaoh and at the hands of these soldiers for 400 years, for generation after generation after generation, find themselves free. The horse and the rider. It would almost be unbelievable. It would almost be unthinkable. Feel the depths of how you would respond if you saw the very thing that had generation after generation after generation of slavery and oppression and putting their harsh thumb down upon you is now gone. And you were free. That's why they sing. It just spilled out. It spilled up and over. It was a song of joy. The strength of God prevailed where we could never have prevailed. A song of joy. The horse and the rider have been destroyed. We are free. Because if the horse and the rider weren't destroyed, they could be wandering in the wilderness, but they'd have an army barreling down on them to find them. They'd go around the sea. God neutralized everything that they were in fear over. <clears throat> Verse 2, we see enter on the lips of God's people for the first time one of the most beautiful lines that we still cling to today as God's people. Here it is. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This idea is birthed right here on the lips of God's people in a song right here for the first time. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This theme, this ve these very same lines will be written about in God's word all over the scriptures. They're sung about again by David in Psalm 118. They're sung about again by David in Psalm 25. They're reminded of by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 12. And even today on the Lord's day, God's people still cry this out. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is our song too. 
Psalm 118, here it is. David, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The very same line. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I have nothing to fear. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at what he's redeemed us from. Look at how he has rescued us. Look at how he always comes through. I don't have to fear anymore. Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will, I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That line, birthed. And the heart of God's people, as praise on their lips, has continued to reverberate even still today. He is my song. He is my salvation. And to the ends of the earth, we will cry that out until he calls us home. We're caught up in something much bigger than we oftentimes think about. The story of God, the story of redemption, uh, that which he has done, that which he has rescued us from, that which he is calling us to, our future hope, our trust. Sometimes we just get right locked into the here and now, but church, we are hearing and singing and praising and opening and reading the story of redemption and the heart and mind of God that we are wrapped up in, and it's so much bigger than just our little moment. So let's keep teaching the generation behind us to keep clinging to these realities, keep trusting these truths, no matter what's going on in the world around us. We can cling to him. He is our hope. He is our song. He is our salvation. He is our strength. <laughs> so they're saying he's, he's, he's strong. Um, they're singing of his strength. And then the... <coughs> Excuse me, the Lord, then they're singing that the Lord has saved them from certain death by vanquishing his enemies, by crushing his enemies. And he's made his people the benefactor of that war by freeing them from oppression, by freeing them from evil. And that's not all they're singing about and celebrating. And we go down to verse 6. It's God's personal intervention in the action of the Lord. Verse 6 through 10. And your right hand, O Lord. Listen to how this is worded. Your right hand, O Lord glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in the heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. It sounds really harsh and almost strange. Like, that's a song? Like, that's kind of a dark song. It's like, oh, geez, is that like screamo? Maybe, I don't know, okay? creative license here. We don't know. We don't have the music. But church, catch this. Um, you're like, that sounds weird to sing about. We don't sing like that very much anymore. Like, why is this so beautiful that they would sing a line like that? You shatter your enemies. Ooh. It's a really, really good thing to sing that the Lord shatters his enemies. Why? Because it frees us to not have to have them. It's a really good thing that we serve a God that would shatter his enemies, that would save us, that would prevail, 
because he crushed his enemies, because now as God's people, it frees us not to take vengeance in our own hands, but to be agents of reconciliation, to be heralds of the good news of the saving God that has rescued us from certain death because it is his strength and it is his power and it is his might that has saved us from certain death. It is God that crushed his enemies. So I don't have to anymore. I don't have to be faced with that. I can now be a herald of the good news of this good God that has rescued us from certain death. And here on the New Testament, we understand that our battle, the scriptures tell us, is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities. It is in the spiritual realm. And so we collectively, as God's people, don't battle against flesh and blood. We are heralds of the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, has saved us and rescued us from certain death when we had no way out. And he will crush his enemies one day when he comes back. So we don't have to take oppression and vengeance in our own hands because that will be done by God himself. We now as God's people can be agents of reconciliation and we can point them to the good news of the one that has come and saved and is mighty and is powerful to do what we could never do and to do what we were never called to do. Um. He also teaches us about the power of God versus the power of man. We just read, it's like, your right hand, O Lord, your right hand, verses 6 through 10. Uh, You send out fury, you consume them, right? The deep congeals in the heart of the sea. It's it's this idea, God, this is what you've done. You've done this. You have made this happen. You have moved. You are the one that has initiated And if we forget this, we forget that's the reason why people start praising because God has moved mightily. God is our song. He is the one that has vanquished his enemies. He has moved for us personally on our behalf. But listen to how the enemy talks. We're seeing this, the heart of God's people and how God has moved versus the heart of Man who is not bent to knee to God, this is how the enemy speaks in Exodus 15:9. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. And God says, Nope. The enemy, those that don't bend a knee to God, this great God, is I, I, me, me, my desire, my wants. I want this. I will do this. I will have my way. I will do it the way that I see fit. And God's people says, it's you that did it. You rescued your power, your might, your glory. You did it all, God. So you deserve every bit of credit and every bit of praise. In verse 10, we see God responds. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. And the people of God have never forgot that God made a way and burned up his enemies like stubble. It says, what's stubble? It's like uh, kindling. Stubble is like the, when you build a fire, and not like the, uh, like push a button, 
like starts a fire in your fireplace that we have today. It's like a, you have to make kindling and you've got to get it real small. And it's the stuff that when, you, when, you, it, when the fire hits it, it's like, boom, it's gone. But you've got to be ready to build the fire. God's people are like, you are so powerful, God. You burned up your enemies like the smallest little, like it was nothing for you. Gone. And the people of God remember their redemption of this great and powerful God. So they're rejoicing for this cosmic victory. And here we have, as we are almost done, we see in this next part, this new idea projected in the hearts of God's people, really into human history, that's never been sung of, that's never been thought of before, in terms of God and his people. Listen to this, Exodus 15, 11, and 12. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. So this idea of holiness that God's people are now singing about. Who is like you among the gods? You are majestic in your holiness. That's not a new concept. That's not a new concept. Holiness is set apart, uh, otherworldly, wholly different than anything they'd ever seen. And so it was not uncommon for even the Egyptians to sing about their gods as being holy, meaning you are powerful, you are set apart, there is no one like you in power. And here God's people are singing this in response to what he has done. Although we've seen God decimate the Egyptian gods through the plagues, if you haven't been with us, you can go back the last 18 weeks and hear about that whole journey. So, but the idea of singing and talking about a God that is holy is not a new concept. Holy in power holy in might, majestic in power, that the earth obeys you. That's not new. But here's what's remarkable remarkable about Exodus 15 in verse 13. That God, you are holy, not just because of your power and your might and the fact that creation obeys you, that you can do anything you wish and it just listens to your voice. That's not the only thing that makes you holy and amazing and wonderful. But verse 13 says, but you are holy in your steadfast love. That's never been said before of a God for his people. The word steadfast love that's used here is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. And it's not like a emotional love. It's not like a, a fluttering kind of feel good. It's not a Disney princess love. It is a decision of love. A decision of love. And so what we see in this moment of the people of God singing, they're singing of God's power. They're singing of his majesty. No one has power like you, God. 
You command all of creation and it listens to you. The sea obeys you. The wind obeys you. You are holy, but you are also steadfast in your love. The hesed love of God, the decided love of God is on us now as your people. It's the I do of a wedding. The covenantal decision of love poured out on his people. That's what the Lord does for his people. When we get married, we turn and we say, I do. And we make these crazy vows to each other that are nearly impossible to live up to. This is what God does for us, his people. He looks at us in sickness and in health. No matter what I do, I will show up. I will be there for you. I will never quit on you. I will always love you because I promised by my name not by yours, not by your goodness, not by your inaction, not by your performance. I promise that I will love you in this way because I said I would and I made the promise on my holy name. So I'm coming after you. I've got you. You will never be outside of my grasp and my arms. That is so good. That's what we're singing about, church. I'm never going anywhere, he says. Church, there has never been and there will never be a God like ours marked by his holiness and his power and his majesty, but also by his steadfast, hesed love that he places upon us as his people. That's what sets Christianity outside any other claim of God or religion that has ever been or will ever be. And it sounds crazy and it sounds too good to be true, but that's what they're singing about because that's what they've just experienced. And then as we close, verses 15 through 18, they sing about their future victory that this God that has placed his steadfast, never-ending, always-showing-up love on his people is trustworthy to do what he says to the very end. That no matter the path, he is near, he is with you, he will never let go. Will it be easy? Will it be uh, uh, skip through the daisies? No. It'll be wilderness wandering sometimes. It'll be moments of high praise and amazing exuberant uh, joy. It'll be moments of sorrow, but I will never leave you and you can trust me. And if we kept reading and through Joshua, we would see that all of these promises that are about to be sung about in Exodus 15 will come true. They're not true yet. They've just crossed the Red Sea and they're singing about all these other nations trembling in fear of the God of the Israelites. Not of the Israelites. They're not, the Israelites are never that scary. They're always afraid of the God of the Israelites because he, do, he does what he says he'll do for this people. Exodus 15, 14 through 18. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Remember just a couple weeks ago, they didn't go through this area because they knew they would turn back because the Philistines are a people of war. So he's talking in a future tense that the those in Philist Philistia will hear about this God and tremble. They're, 
now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seize the leaders of Moab. The inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in. You will plant them on your own mountain. This is a shadow of what's to come. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. The future promise that is just sung about will happen hundreds of years from now. And they're singing about it now. God is trustworthy. He will deliver us. He will take us through all of these places. And he is good. And he is right. And he is faithful. He fights for us. He is holy in might and power. And also his love never ends for us. It is on us. This is their new song, church. This is their song. Church, if you believe that today, we just sang right before we finished, God, you never change. We just sang that. Unless you had your arms folded and you weren't singing, you just said and sang with your lips, God, you never change. This is true of him then. It is true of him now for you and I. He is trustworthy. We don't have to fear. Our future is secure in his hands. Will it look everything like you think it's going to look? No way. But he's trustworthy. And he's worthy of our praise. And his steadfast, never-ending, deciding love is on you. And it can never be taken away. He's rescued you from certain death. Um, So if you were a born-again child of God, who our great Redeemer Jesus Christ has rescued you from certain death, from the penalty of sin, and has redeemed you and bought you with a price, and had you cross over from uncertain death with an enemy at your back and an impassable expanse in your front, and he made a way for you that you could walk through into life, then we should be a people of praise that will blow the roof off of this place. We have so much to sing about. We have so much to hope in. We have so much to praise in. It should, we shouldn't even be able to contain. We, we, should, we should start blowing these walls out because more and more people need to come in and sing about and praise this good God that has redeemed and rescued his people and his love has landed on you and will never go away. We have much to sing about, church. We have much to rejoice in. We have much to celebrate. And I wish I would have brought tambourines to pass out because we would have about to get crazy in here. If Miriam was here, she'd be passing them all out. We'd be, this is a dance studio after all, so I'm just saying. Right? It's not cool. It's not hip. Uh, but it's a dance studio. We've got the right flooring. Maybe you need to move a couple chairs, and you just need to uh, make your own tambourine. To start. We need to just get a little bit more undignified, as David would say, because God has rescued us from much, and there's much to celebrate as God's people. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, If you're like, what on earth is this guy getting on about, about this God and this singing, please come talk to us. We want to tell you more about this God that is a God that saves. We're not gathering to sing nice songs or to hear nice songs being sung. Zach and Jelana are spending their lives pouring out for the local church that God's people would respond rightly in truth and praise a living God who is for you. 
church, um, when, when they come back up here and we get ready to praise, not for them, but for a God who's real, and whose love is on you, and will always come through for you, who your future is secure in, let's lift our voices like a people that have been redeemed and saved and blood-bought by the very blood of the Lamb who has saved us and sing and blow the roof off this place. Amen? Amen. We do that? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you (laughs) that you are alive, that you are at the right hand of God, and that now you intercede for us, that your blood has now covered us, and that we as your people, we can now sing and lift up our songs to you, and because we have a great uh, intercessor, you hear our praise, God through the blood of Jesus who has rescued and redeemed us. And so it is pleasing to you. It is good to you. It is music to your ears as God's people. Though we fail, though we fall, though we do not always get it right, we know that we've been saved from much. That you are a God of strength and power and might, but you are a God whose steadfast love is decidedly placed on us. And you are a God who tells us in no uncertain terms that our future is secure in you. We may not know exactly what that's going to look like, but so long as we are clinging to you, it is good. And so we have much to praise. God, teach us to be a people of praise. Teach us to be a people of song. To encourage one another congregationally of your goodness, your glory, your love, and your bright future for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Church, we stand.